comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and as always this is abe hola all right out now is a film podcast which has abe and i discussing new movies weekly we also bring in a little discussion about the latest movie trailers box office results and predictions a retro review that has to do with the main film of the week i should change that part of the intro games and other fun stuff uh this is episode 48 and we are talking about john carter of mars and um, joining us to discuss John Carter, we have writer for Damn Dirty Blog and the man with the true passion to create the first Thark centipede, Jordan Grout. Oh, hello. Writer for Huffington Post and Mendelssohn Memos, and one of the few men who could be delivering a stern talking to tomorrow morning at the marketing offices of Disney, Scott Mendelssohn. How you doing? All of about a stern talking. Wah, wah. Waka, waka. You guys waka. doing good? Right. Yeah. <laughs> now we are. Um, okay, a few announcements. Yeah, a few announcements before we get Jeez. A few announcements before we get underway with things. Um, iTunes reviews and ratings. It's uh, really nice to get iTunes reviews and ratings, and we've gotten a few recent ones, and it's been really cool. And it you know helps promote the show and stuff. It's very simple to do. Log on to iTunes, a couple clicks, and you're set. So you know, helps us out. It's a really nice thing to do. So you know, putting that out there. Um, we have uh, episode 50 coming very soon. This is episode 48. We have episode 50 coming. That's coming in a couple weeks. Abe and I should probably do something for that. So um, we're, we're working on it. Yeah, we're working on it. Ideas, you know, yeah, email. Yeah, we're open ideas. Out now. going to kill somebody off, don't kill me. I've got two kids. Okay. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Kill one of the single unattached critics. Well, Jordan, never mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> no one cares about me, so you can just kill me off. But yeah, uh, you know, any ideas for, you know, the show for our 50th episode, email us outnowpodcast at gmail.com. You know, we, we're open to suggestions. We got some ideas. I, uh, send one right now. I, sure, go for it. I, uh, you know, I was at the Los Angeles Animation Festival this past weekend, actually, and, and I was, I got a little... I got a little something, a little piece of swag there, and I could probably fill that piece of swag with, like, DVDs or something. So who knows? I don't know. Maybe we could have some kind of t- contest, and I can send that out to somebody. <laughs> Just throwing ideas out there. So, you know, we'll see. Um, also, Abe and I have discussed this kind of briefly. We're thinking about doing a commentary for the original Clash of the Titans movie, since Wrath of the Titans is coming out pretty soon, and we love doing our commentaries. Um, so that might be in the works, might be coming. Jordan will probably be a part of that, because why not? Oh, I love that movie. It's so bad the 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 harry hamlin clash of the titans well yeah it's it's cheesy fun that's for sure it's um fantastic so yeah okay that's uh i'm gonna talk about it right now <laughs> yeah let's just go into it let's just do that okay so that's that's our that's a few announcements those are the way so let's get to uh, know everybody where each week we try to ask each other a couple questions try to set the tone for this week's episode and get to know everybody and uh let's start with abe this week cool all right aaron yeah how would friend of the show Kyle Chandler and friend of the show Willem Fickner fit in John Carter? <laughs> friend of the show Kyle Chandler, he would replace James Purfoy's character because he doesn't look as much like Dominic West. Because <laughs> McNulty and uh, 
and uh, Mark Anthony. It was hard to separate the two of them in that movie. But um, let's see, William Fickner. He he would be a right hand to Willem Dafoe's character in the John Carter sequel that will maybe get made. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Here we go. Scott. Yes. Edgar Rice Burroughs created the series that John Carter is based on. He also created Tarzan. Should a studio spend an exuberant amount of money on a live action Tarzan film? Only if it's animated. <laughs> Which they already did. Yeah. And they spent an exuberant amount of money, but they made it back because it's Disney animation which people care about opposed to disney live action which they don't <laughs> i can see where you're going with this <laughs> well, through the... <laughs> i don't get it through the looking glass it is all right so scott your turn aaron yeah this was we were talking about this off the air a minute ago but uh random tv show that everybody else loves that you don't like everybody else loves that i don't like um let's see the killing came to mind pretty quickly but that seems to be kind of 50 50 um I don't hate 30 Rock, but 30 Rock's really leveled out for me. Like, it, it doesn't really, it's not the show that I'm excited to watch every week. I can say, I can say that. Fair enough. All right. Um, Jordan, would you rather live on Barsoom, Pandora, in the grid, or dilapidated Earth from Wally, or Dagobah? Oh, man. <laughs> I'll just repeat those options because it was fun to say them. Barsoom, Pandora, the grid, dilapidated Earth from Wally, or Dagobah, with Yoda? Well, da- Dagobah. With Yoda? Yeah, because sexy man. <laughs> okay. So, you, so, you, so you'd exist in the swamp with Yoda. That's that's where you'd choose. Oh, hell yeah. All right. Who won't? <laughs> okay. Hey, yeah. uh, or Scott, doesn't matter. If you could replace the voice of Tintin or add a voice to Warhorse <laughs> with Joe Pesci, who would it be? Um... <laughs> if you could replace the voice with of Tintin, say what? Yeah, if you could replace the voice Jamie Bell from Tin from Tintin, or add the voice of Warhorse with Joe Pesci, which one would you choose? So, are you saying Joe, Joe Pesci would be the voice of Tintin? That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> Choice seems odd. I would add a voice to Warhorse. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going with that too, which. Oh, okay. I get the question. <laughs> the question's amazing now. Okay, okay. I, I have I have an answer for that, I guess, because sorry, I didn't word that correctly. I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. I would say add the voice of Joe Pesci to the to make make War Horse into a talking horse movie <laughs> with Joe Pesci as the voice of the horse. Thus, realizing the stupid joke that my wife has been making since late November when she first heard about the movie, where she was sure that it was basically Mr. Ed goes to World War One. <laughs> I hear, I hear Steven Spielberg spent a lot of money on peanut butter that didn't get used. <laughs> oh, no. He used it all right. <laughs> that, oh, see, if, if, Joe, if Joe Pesci was a voice of War Horse, then that would fuel my theory of having Sam Jackson as the voice of the black horse in that movie. Because every <laughs> when, I, when I saw that movie, the second they introduced that other horse, I just felt, I felt in my mind that like a voice from that horse is going to come out and be like, who's the new guy? And it'd be Sam Jackson, <laughs> which would have made it something <laughs> We're not entertaining the Joe Pesci as Tintin idea enough, I don't think. <laughs> I would have liked Tintin better if, I don't know, John Hurt had done the voice of Tintin. <laughs> oh, John Hurt. Oh, like he's better. still, like, boyish. He's still, he's still, like... Who cares? He's John Hurt. Ah, adventure is that way. We gotta find this dog. I get to I get to review the Immortals Blu-ray, and that's I can't wait to see those John Hurt scenes again. 
Yeah. Oh, I forgot he was in that. Yeah. Some people forgot it was a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Jordan. Oh, yes. Would John Carter have been a lot cooler if it was just basically named Rush Hour 4 with Jackie Chan saying, Carter, all the time? <laughs> Damn. He just had a, he had a sidekick of Jackie Chan. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if the dog Wula was voiced by Jackie Chan. <laughs> well, I mean, anything's better with Jackie Chan's voice. In fact, Warhorse could be great with Jackie Chan's voice. Um, this is all- well, sure, why not? Which leads into my question, which is almost the same. Not really. Okay, I guess this goes for anybody. If you could replace Taylor Kitsch with either Mr. Bean or Kermit the Frog... Which would it be? Yeah, I thought you were gonna if you if you had said replace with Mr. Bean or Johnny English, that would have been hilarious. But um See, I was gonna say that, but uh, I didn't see Johnny English reborn. So Mr. So Mr. Bean or what? Kermit? Kermit the Frog. Instead of Taylor Kitsch. Yeah. I I I would want Kermit to keep his respect, so I'm gonna go with uh Yeah, I'd watch I'd, I'd watch Mr. Bean be, be suffer the uh inhumanity of being in John Carter. I'd watch Mr. Bean go to Mars. I'd watch that movie. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Bean. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think Scott has one more question. I know. I'm tired. Too tired to think of a question. Um, at least I'm too tired to think of a funny question. I have serious questions, but what, those aren't any fun. You can give one to Abe. I like Abe answering serious okay, questions. Okay, um, uh, Serious question. Uh, better put my in your opinion, in something Disney could have done marketing-wise so that John Carter made a little bit more than $30 million in the U.S. this weekend? Uh, I think that they could have really given you a taste of what the movie is about or actually the the great lengths and efforts that they put into the visual styles that they put in rather than just Taylor Kitsch kind of like walking around in the rain and looking glum. I think it was a I think it was a bad marketing campaign as well. And just riding home right now on the BART, I mean you see John Carter posters everywhere, but it's just you don't really know what it's about. And actually a friend of the show, uh Gerard Uribe, he put up this link earlier today on Facebook, which was like a fan-made trailer for John Carter, which hopefully was supposed to make the film a little bit better. Um, and it actually looks a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, I think that they could have really like, taken they, out some of like the, the mysteriousness of it and just put in like, okay, this is exactly what the movie's they about. They could have told you it was on Mars. That would have been a neat touch right there. But <laughs> I kind of got that feeling already, didn't you? I mean, I, I've, I've ran into so many people that didn't know that movie took place on oh, Mars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Put Lily Collins front and center too. Lynn, yeah. Lynn, Coll- Lynn Collins, yeah. or Lynn, Collins, yeah. Lynn, whatever. Starts in the now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how they give you the title of the movie at the end of the movie, huh? He earned it. Very, he earned it. Very Chris Nolan of them. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked for Batman, so guess what's <laughs> right here? All right, so that's how we play. No, everybody. We should really insert a sound every time I say no, everybody. Bling. Yeah. So. All right, so let's uh, get into movie trailer talk, where we discuss a couple of the latest movie trailers and, uh, you know, see what we think. And this week, we were treated to a full trailer for Men in Black 3, the third entry in the Men in Black series. And after the first one that everyone generally liked and the second one that everyone generally forgot about, we have the third one. And what do we think? Uh, Jordan, what do you think of the Men in Black 3 trailer? Oh, God, I can't wait to not see it. So you're not excited no. about Men in Black 3? Uh, I'm, I'm not. Um, I, I have no feelings towards it. Like, the first one never blew me away. I liked it, but no. I, I forgot about it, like, a month after I saw it. And the second one I liked even less. So this one, no, it's like, yeah, 
I, I just don't care. Um, and, and it looks mediocre. But I like um, who who's the British actress in that? Um, I should know her name. Emma when he's uh, asking. Uh, yes, Thompson. yes, she's great. I'll, I'll I'll see anything with her, so I'll probably end up seeing it. And it looks like Tommy Jones is in it for like fifteen minutes. But, so. but his head's on the poster, so he, you know, of course he'll, you know. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's gonna make tons of money, probably. It's a big Willy weekend. Yes, yes, it's gonna make seven pounds money. <laughs> seven pounds of gold is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> that too um yeah scott what do you think well seven pounds money is why men in black three got made in the first exactly. place yes. <laughs> now you know again on the other hand you know i think it's absurd that people thought that seven pounds was some kind of flop it's an incredibly dark depressing movie about it's been four years i guess i can talk about it organ donation and suicide released in the middle of the christmas season it still made like 160 million dollars worldwide Oh, uh, did it? Yes. And, you know, that's why Will Smith is, is the biggest movie star on the planet, in my opinion, is that he can open stuff like that as opposed to not just, you know, big epic fantasy pictures. Um, having said that, getting back to Men in Black, yeah, I, I thought the first film was overrated. I liked it. I didn't love it. I thought the second film was underrated. I thought it was okay, but I didn't hate it. Um, I think the best representation that I've seen of the men in black universe has been, was the cartoon that ran on kids WB for about oh, four man, seasons. You remember that, I, do, I did enjoy that I cartoon. Do. I like that uh, cartoon a lot. Um, it ran in the late nineties. Uh, well, obviously yeah, late nineties because it came out in 97. Um, and you know, by virtue of it being episodic television, they were able to delve into certain character facets of the universe that a 90 minute movie could not do. You know, the loneliness, the isolation, the, you know, being, you know, with your family wondering what the heck happened to you. Uh, there was a wonderful episode where, I don't remember all the details, but basically they end up with start with uh, Agent uh, J.K., Tommy Lee Jones' father wondering, you know, my son's been missing for 50 years. What do you guys do with him? Um, and it was, a, it was surprisingly bittersweet. Anyway, but getting back to that, third film, apparently it cost, I said, $215 million and people laughed at me. That, oh, no, no, it cost much, much more than that. So oh, that was a big, it's a big camper. Yes. Yeah, so. Yes. Uh, I've, I, I'm scared to ask what the real budget is. I'm sure it's going to make a lot of money, but I don't think a lot of money's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's as far as the trailer, it, you're right. It looks completely forgettable. It looks like the kind of movie that without saying, Oh, it looks terrible. Blah, 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 Cause it doesn't. But if I wasn't a film critic and it wasn't kind of sort of my duty to see this kind of stuff, I might not even bother. In fact, I'm so disinterested, I still might not even bother. <laughs> I don't need to see the movie to write about the box office. I, I think it helps. And I don't want to turn into, you know, Nicky Fink who writes about box office and never sees movies. But, you know, frankly, there's a number of movies coming out this summer that are supposed to be the big movies that everybody's supposed to care about that if I do see them, it'll only be, almost be like homework. I mean, is anyone here really excited for Snow White and the, and the Huntsman? I kind of am. I'm curious. Oh, oh, I'm yeah. curious, yeah. yeah. I think it's more curiosity than it. That's yeah. something new, though. I mean, it's not the third Men in yeah. Black movie. It's not. Yeah. I'm not going... Oh. I don't want to see Snow White and the Huntsman because, like, oh, no, it's a, it's a new Kesu movie. I got to get on that, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it's, it looks... On the other hand, you know, it it, it, it's, it spells out the plot in a better fashion than the teaser did. I was almost a little confused by the somewhat obtuse cryptic way they laid out the plot in the teaser and what i like about the trailer is it establishes the plot and then doesn't reveal anything else yeah. Uh, yeah. you know other than the fact that 
you know, someone caused a wrinkle in time and Timely Jones is dead, and that's bad for reasons above the obvious, you don't know anything going to that movie. And I hope they don't release another trailer. I hope they don't release a bunch of spoilery TV spots or, you know, a bunch of clips online saying, here's 20 minutes of the movie, go watch it. You won't um, get that, but we're gonna get the we're gonna get the requisite Will Smith one liner that he says, and then you get to hear, you hear it in every TV spot, and yeah. then by the time you go to the movies, everyone else laughs at it, and you're like, "Why is this still funny?" Is it the uh, yeah. my man for real? And I think it's interesting. Well, no, I think it's interesting that none of the character, none of the actors in the movie seem to have aged at all. Yeah, well, Will Smith, Will Smith yeah, he's twenty-five. <laughs> Will Smith's um, ageless. Yeah. Takes place two minutes, or it takes place two years after the. Will, Will Smith, black don't crack. Come on, as we. <laughs> I can attest to this. Black don't crack. Um, and you know, Tommy Lee Jones doesn't look that much older than he did in 1997. Uh, you know, they have they have a, a cheap you know a joke at the end about how you know. Josh Brolin, you know, playing a 29-year-old guy is 45 years old in real life, give or take, like 44, 43. So you ba- you basically have two 44-year-old men playing characters that are supposed to be, I would argue, you know, in their early 30s at worst. Say I watched the trailer earlier this morning just to refresh myself, and I honestly don't remember too much about it uh, besides the basic huh. plot elements. I, I uh, I like Will Smith. I mean, it's hard to not it's hard to not like Will Smith. I mean, the, the guy but, embodies but I, charisma and. But I've I've admired Will Smith because of the, you know, often very original, somewhat challenging projects that he's done and still found a way to make them mainstream enough to make money. And I hope that this is just what happened to him in 2002 or coming off a couple of minor flops. Uh, you know, Ali did not make money. It was good. It was OK, but it didn't make money. He got an Oscar nomination. Uh, you know, Legend of Bagger Vance was a flop. Uh, so he did Men in Black 2, and then he did Bad Boys 2, and then he started doing more original stuff. Hmm. Um, and I'm hoping this is just sort of, uh-oh, I'm panicking because I had one kind of sort of flop. I'm going to do a Men in Black movie, then I'm going to do other fun well, stuff. after Men in Black, we have an M. Night Shyamalan movie, so that'll... Which I am psyched for. I can't wait to see... Well, either way, it's either going to be the final nail in the coffin of M. Night Shyamalan or his glorious <laughs> rebirth. Because these are two, you know, clash of the egos, I guess you could call it. You know, these are both very macro, you know, micromanaging people, you know, going up against each other. And, you know, Will Smith is powerful enough for when he says no, M. Night Shyamalan will have to listen to him. And that's a very exciting thing that he has not had since he left Disney. (laughs) And as someone that has still not given up on M. Night Shyamalan, that... He needs to work with more people like that. It helps that M. Night Shyamalan hasn't written the movie that is coming up. So. That is true. We'll true. That yeah, is that's true. a whole other. Let's, let's, let's move off this because this, this is a whole other yeah. conversation now. So <laughs> Men in Black 3 comes out uh, May 25th, 2012. Hopefully it has Rip, it has Rip Torn in it, right? I, just, I assume so. If he's Wait, okay. is Rip Torn even like... Oh, is, I don't know. Is he, he, he's getting into something. Yeah, he, that's him. a good question now that I come to think of it. Is Rip Torn going to be in it? Uh, we got an intergalactic character. Uh, okay, so let's. Uh, <laughs> our next show we have is Finding Nemo 3D. It's the re-release of Finding Nemo, of course, retrofitted with Disney's 3D technology, <laughs> TM or whatever they want to call it. Um, uh, the trailer is pretty brief. It just basically shows a highlight reels of all the things that people like about you know Finding Nemo. Well, some of the things people like. There's a lot. I, lo- I love Finding Nemo in general. Finding Nemo to me ranks very. It's very high. It's at very high it's literally my that incredibles and wally are my number one pixar movies for me in my opinion so yeah i'm I, i'm very excited to see finding emo again on the big screen and the fact that it happens to also be in 3d it's like all right cool whatever so 
And that that's the kind of movie that actually would benefit from three D. You know, simply because it you know takes place in the ocean with lots of death, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, Finding Nemo is not my favorite Pixar movie. It'd probably be either like up. Toy Story 2 or 3 of The Incredibles. But I think objectively, if you can be objective about film criticism, objectively, it's probably their most perfect film. Um, they really, it never takes a false step. And it 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 really hones in the the classic Pixar theme of, you know, li, you know, existing in safety or li, versus living in danger that, you know, sort of came, you know, during the Toy, you know, Toy Story 2. And there's sort of been a running th- theme for a number of their films ever since then. And I think, you know, while it's not my favorite film, uh, Finding Nemo is probably the perfect distillation of, it really is the prototypical Pixar film in every good way. Um, I think I would not be surprised if it's Andrew Stanton's highest grossing film this year. <laughs> uh, sorry, I know that's a cheap shot, but I'm not the only one thinking it. Um, and it just, it, it, it. I, I think of all the 3D releases that Disney is planning, it has the potential to be the highest grossing of them. A, because it's one of the most popular, you know, it's, it's one of the more, most popular movies. Is it period. only second to Toy Story 3 now? Yes. Uh, and you'll have an entire generation of children that didn't realize that there was a chapter one on the DVD. <laughs> um, again, you wouldn't know this if you don't, you know, if, if you have kids, don't have kids, but... Pixar was very nice to make the, the the whole fish massacre entirely in chapter one. And you could start the film in chapter two where the story makes perfect sense without that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they kind of go over what happens without directly. Yeah, yes. So, yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I showed it to my daughter when she asked, uh, you know, because she did see that scene and was a little creeped. I was like, and later when it came up, you know, where's Nemo's mommy? Uh, Dory is Nemo's mommy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna file this part under. Totally worth that genetic. I'm gonna file this under Scott's parenting notes. Skip chapter one of Finding Nemo. That's. <laughs> they did a Simpsons episode about that. Actually, it wasn't just me. There was actually a Simpsons side plot last year where Millhouse discovers there's a chapter one. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> my God, the movie's old enough that there. Yes, there's an entire generation of kids that you know obviously didn't see the film in theaters. That theoretically, if you have parents that want to shield their, you know. Don't want to have that conversation quite yet. Skip, problem solved. It was also neat to see Albert Brooks reprise the role of Marlon in Drive last year. So that was... <laughs> <laughs> he told his fish. Yeah, he <laughs> <laughs> the jellyfish was played by Ron Perlman. So, okay. Um, Jordan, any thoughts on Finding Nemo 3D? Um, it's probably going to be the first Disney re-release in 3D I see. Because uh, like Scott said, if, if there's one film that can benefit from it, it's Finding Nemo. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so, yeah. excited to see the them going on the the what is it the Australian Current or whatever the, the sea oh, turtles yeah. in 3D that'd be something. <laughs> Abe East Australian East Australian Current, Australian Current. Yeah. the EAC the EAC dude. <laughs> Abe, any thoughts on? No way you can't love this movie. I remember seeing this in the theater with my little sister when she was like eight. Um, and yeah, I love the the water graphics. It was just it blew me away. I still love the opening title sequence like. <laughs> The, uh, the music for that sequence is phenomenal. Yeah, I, yeah, I love Finding Nemo. The dialogue is great in Finding Nemo. There's a lot of kind yeah. of running jokes that they have fun with that I really enjoy, like the stuff with the in the, uh, the dentist office with all the different characters there. It's, that's just a great movie. <laughs> I love Finding Nemo. <laughs> I actually haven't seen the film since it was in theaters. Well, good time to revisit it. So, yeah. Well, the, you'll be able to get your chance to do that in September 14th. It comes out in the fall. Just in time for the Blu-ray release. Yeah. 
which, you know, that's interesting when you see what they've been, you know, they're doing for the next, at least for the next two years. In January, they have a film like Beauty and the Beast or, you know, next year in Monsters Inc. It's already available on Blu-ray. And then at the end of the year, they're doing something that they don't have on Blu-ray yet, which I don't know what their thinking is other than they want to space out the one that they have to actually spend time to remaster on Blu-ray. I just but... figured the Disney janitor that opens up the Disney vault and cleans, it's like, oh, hey, look, there's Fight and Nemo's here, guys. Fight and Nemo. Fight and Nemo. We got to re-release it. release that one. <laughs> I yeah. think it's the last Pixar movie that's not on Blu-ray. Yeah, it is. But I it, is. Yeah. it is true. Uh, so they were they were holding off, and now we know why. Um, and again, I'm pretty sure we will never ever get a 3D re-release of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> was that a hot? That I, I I badly. Had some good songs in that one. Oh God! I I mentioned this you know before we went on the air. You know, I was at Disneyland today, and they did the you know musical sensational parade, and you know they they never do anything from Hunchback. You never see Claude Frollo singing Hellfire. As awesome as that would be. Was it a success financially? Uh, yes, but I mean, it cost a lot. It made $100 million in the U.S. I don't know what it did worldwide. It got great reviews, but then the tide turned as soon as it came out, and everybody forgot that they liked it, and all they started whining about was that it wasn't PG, as if that was the movie's fault that it got a G. Did it come out after Pocahontas? Uh, yes, the year, next year. All right. Want to hear something I did not realize until I watched Pocahontas on the Disney cruise a couple months oh, ago? Yes. Christian Bale is in Pocahontas. Is he also the same character he plays in the New World? I don't think so. I I, I keep meaning to look that up, but I don't think so. <laughs> he actually plays the voice of the the young uh, uh, settler who kills the guy at the at the uh, end of the second act. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's uh, different than the his New World rule. No, um, he plays Pocahontas in that movie. We <laughs> <laughs> lost like a hundred pounds to do it too. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Finding Nemo comes out September fourteenth. Then yeah, Men in Black comes out the twenty fifth of May. Is that Memorial? No, Battleship's Memorial Day weekend, right? That makes. Uh, no, Battleship is the, weekend, the weekend before, before the... the Memorial Day weekend, and then uh, Men in Black oh, is Memorial Day weekend. All right. Uh, speaking of movies that I feel like homework, Battleship. Um, but it ha- it has John Carter's Taylor Kitchen. <laughs> <sighs> the only reason I have any interest is to see if A, Liam Neeson dies at the end, and B, if he screams, you suck he my battleship. He had, there, there is no way that movie was greenlit without the <laughs> You suck my battleship. Like, package deal. It's like, we're making battleship, no. Liam Neeson's in it, and he says you suck my battleship. Peter Berg, you got yourself a movie. That's like, that's that was the deal. That was Universal's deal. It's like, all right, I made the kingdom. It was pretty classic, right? Battleship. <laughs> I got this. Hancock, we did it. Will Smith, Big Willie Weekend, Battleship. I got my mind on it. I hope they have Rihanna yell that line. <laughs> that would be very in her, in her breaking voice, the way that she's saying, like, what the hell is that? What the hell is that? Because there are no black actresses working in Hollywood, so they had to cast Rihanna. <laughs> I hope she, she says, they destroyed my destroyer, destroyer, eh. All right, that's enough of that. And I think we mentioned Taylor Kitsch from John Carter. So speaking of John Carter, let's get to our film review of... Segway! You killed him with one blow. When I saw you, I believed that something new can come into this world. You are John Carter of Earth? Yes, ma'am. What happened to this place? A new power 
threatens to destroy our city. That don't look like a fair fight. You are ugly, but you are beautiful. Okay, so that was a little bit of the trailer for John Carter, the new live-action Disney film that is a film adaptation of the very old Edgar Rice Burroughs novels, uh, which started with The Princess of Mars, which this film is mostly based upon. And the film stars John, Taylor Kitsch as John Carter, a Civil War vet who is mysteriously transported to Mars and gets entangled in a civil war going on between the nations of Helium and Zadanga. And he finds himself a captor of another species on the planet called the Tharks. And John Carter essentially needs to work his way through these various groups of aliens and people and rescue the princess, who's played by Lynn Collins, Deja Thoris, and he fights as he does some swashbuckling and he learns some things about other things. And yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff happens on Mars. He learns things, learn things about other things. things. I like that. I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm having a pipe for that. That totally makes I know, sense. Right? He learns <laughs> things about other things. Uh, John Carter has the ability, because of the his human nature versus the atmosphere of Mars, he has super jumping and uh, super strength abilities, and, you know, other stuff goes down. So with all that said, let's uh, let's get into this. Um, Jordan, what did you think? I knew you were going to start What did you me. think of John Carter? Uh, I'm going to be in the uh, minority here and uh, say that I loved it. Um, I, I was really uh, entertained by it. I, 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 it's not perfect uh, by any stretch, but um, even with, like, as you said in your review, like warts and all, um, I think it's something that I'll, I'll be able to revisit, revisit throughout the years and, and still be like enchanted with. Unlike Avatar, which I know a lot of people are comparing it with, with Avatar. Um, but I'll go into that later. Um, it, it is a bit too convoluted for its own good. Um, and I felt that a lot of the subplots weren't fleshed out. But, you know, um, that the, uh, the CGI was uh, pretty, pretty damn good for the most part. Um, Kitsch, I, I've been hearing a lot of complaints about Kitsch. You know, he doesn't really reach uh, the level of uh, like Harrison Ford as like Han Solo or Indiana Jones. But I, you know, I felt he did a you know, passable job. Um, it, the, the film belongs to, uh, Lynn Collins. Um, but yeah, um, uh, I'll talk about it more later. Scott, what do you think? Uh, I genuinely did not like it. And I frankly had to sort of resist the urge to hate it because it's, you know, it's a somewhat, you know, weirdly innocent movie. There's a certain gee whiz quality to it. It's not morally corrosive or it's not particularly cynical. I, I, I think some of the behind the scenes that got it made are a bit cynical, but we'll get into that when we talk about box office. But just from a purely, you know, I went into it thinking, okay, the trailers aren't very good. And, and I think it's nuts that they spent as much money as they did. But Andrew Stanton is a very talented animation director. He's basically implied that they're withholding some cool stuff and not showing you in the trailer. So you know, walk in with an open mind. I, you know, saw it a few weeks ago and I, it's one of those situations where I kept waiting for it to get good only to realize, no, this is it. It's not going to get good. Um, I found the story to be incredibly complicated and confusing and not in a good way, not in a Brian De Palma Mission Impossible way. <laughs> um, you know, the opening exposition made me more confused than if they didn't tell me anything at all, which is always a bad sign. Uh, you know, you the film opens with a mid-air battle between two airships, 
and I have no idea who the good guys and the bad guys are. Uh, you know, apparently one of them wears blue capes and one group wears red capes. Uh, but since you're kind of on an orange planet, it kind of blurs together visually. Um, I was actually very confused for the majority of the movie. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't want to sound as, you know, I don't mean this is to say brag, but I generally don't get confused in movies very often. You know, I never had a problem with Lord of the Rings, even though I'd never read the books. I found it very easy and, you know, uh, clear, narratively clear. And, um, you know, the exposition helped your understanding of the film. And here you have a bunch of actors that kind of look alike. And, you know, somebody made a joke about that earlier about Dominic West and whoever pays the other guy that isn't Dominic West, but I thought was Dominic West when I first James saw him. Yeah, I, I had that yes. same issue. I thought he, you know, it, it, there's a scene, what, what I think is his first major scene, where he shows up, you know, about half, toward the end of the second act, and, you know, he's, he's, he appears to be helping John Car- Carter. And I thought, oh, that's Dominic West. He just switched sides. Interesting. And it turns out, no, that's a completely different character that just looks exactly like him. Um, and that would be okay if, well, it wouldn't be okay, but you have characters that look alike. You have costumes that look alike. You have names that nobody can pronounce, set on worlds that nobody can pronounce. You know, every, no one, I don't think anyone actually says Mars in this movie, other than maybe Lynn Collins a couple of times. Sun, then Rasu. Mercury. Then Kosu. Venus, then Earth, us. That is Jasum. You are on Barsum, John Carter. Mars. I'm on Mars. And you came on one of your sailing ships across millions of carrots of empty space? No. Not like that. Go on. Shock me. How? The entire time I'm sitting there, I don't know who the good guys and bad guys are. I don't know why I'm supposed to root for one side over another. I don't know why Mark Strong and his wacky alien buddies gave one side alien weaponry. You know, are they secret agents for Darkseid or something? Uh, and when we finally find out why they did that, it's kind of stupid. They're, they're, they're the Adjustment Bureau. Yeah, yeah, they're, thank you. they're the Adjustment <laughs> Bureau. So, okay, if they're the Adjustment Bureau, and then we find out what they wanted to do, there was a much simpler way of adjusting their fate than basically giving one side a weapon to wage genocide, which in my mind seems a lot like interfering with the natural order of things. You know, if there's two people in a civil war and you don't want to take sides, if you you give one side a hydrogen bomb, that's going to change things. Um, And that's basically what, you know, basically what they did. Um, And as far as the action, to my shock, I was very disappointed by the scale and quality of the action. Um, you know, there, there's there's a gladiator-type moment, even though the trailers give it all away, I'm not going to, that happens somewhat late in the game that is interesting. But again, it happens so late in the game and it's so disconnected from the main story that it really is a distraction. It, it basically plays out like, you know, there's supposed to be the, the big money moment of the movie where John Carter faces off with, an, you know, certain opponents in a, in a gladiator. Two rancors. 
Basically, yeah, two Rancors. And it feels like a Quidditch match in the Harry Potter books. Because, oh, something really important is happening. We're getting to the end of the movie. Oh, you know, time is of the essence. Wait, we have to stop and spend 15 minutes fighting in a freaking gladiator death match. You know, it's, 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 and the rest of the action was just very pedestrian, I felt. Uh, even the final battle, which is supposed to be the big battle royale. And you mentioned Avatar. I like Avatar a lot. I still do. I've seen it a couple times. But you, even if you don't like it, you got to admit the final battle was pretty spectacular. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you were waiting for the climax, you got your money's worth. In, in this final battle, it takes place in about five minutes. Again, you've got red capes and red, blue capes kind of blurring together. And I'll be honest, I saw the movie two weeks ago. I don't remember what happens to the main villain. And, you know, after the big battle, there's sort of an epilogue that that basically sets up a franchise. And at the end of the movie, I'm realizing, my God, this movie, even more so than something like the first X-Men movie, is a glorified TV pilot setting up a franchise that I'm never going to see. So I, I was very, I was very disappointed with it. I would have loved to have said, yes, the marketing's terrible and it's absurd that Disney's spending the money on this, but gosh, it's a good movie. Long story short, I did not like the movie. The only thing I liked about it was Lynn Collins' character. And ironically, you know, the film was sold as such a generic He-Man pre-adolescent fantasy that it's almost insulting to, to the would-be male audience because it feels so pandering. Yet what they did was they hid one of the more interesting female leads that we've seen in these kind of fantasy genre films. You have Lynn Collins as the quote-unquote romantic lead, the princess of Mars, and she is her own flesh-and-blood character. She gets quite a bit of screen time before she even meets John Car John Carter. I've been saying John Connor all weekend. Um, before she even meets John Carter, and you know she gives an excellent performance, I think the film pays off by casting a real actress and not just the hottie of the month, you know, sort of the flavor of the month. She's very attractive, but, you know, she's not somebody that you see in a lot of magazines. She's not a gossip magnet. She's not, or she's not an insanely young, you know, on-the-rise actress like someone like Emma Roberts or someone like that. So I think the film does, does deserve credit for casting a real actress as the female lead and writing a real female supporting character. Uh, I thought Taylor Kitsch was actually pretty decent. Vocally, I thought his, his, his accent was a little silly. You know, it's not, it's not the best vocal performance of the year. But I thought he was a very expressive physical actor. Uh, I thought he did the action just fine. And I thought, you know, at the moments where it mattered, he exhibited a certain Harrison Ford, Jackie Chan sense of fear and, you know, annoyance at all the gigantic action and spooling all around him, which I appreciated. Dear God, I've been Yeah, married. Abe, go. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, no problem. Uh, I thought that it was actually, um, well, first of all, I, I went into this movie, seeing the trailers and stuff, and then I decided that I would go in with just thinking, all right, don't let any of your preconceived notions go and, you know, set your mind with this way or that way. Yeah, and I think that I was rewarded for that, actually. I think that it was it was above average. It wasn't great, uh, but it was good to very good. Um, I, I'd say, like, very good to some degree with just particular aspects, particular scenes. Good just because um, the story is very long. It, it does take a lot uh, for you to understand all the names and what have you. It's kind of a problem toward the end where they, they really fast forward through. It feels like they fast forward through a lot of different chapters uh, of the book. And then they finally get to John Carter, you know, returning to his his body or whatever. Um, but anyhow, 
I thought that it was it was uh, okay. It was decent for what its rating was, PG thirteen, and I think that it, it, within the confines of of what they can do, I thought it was very well handled. I, I think that the CG, just with like what Jordan said, the 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 green alien guys Tharks. from Mars, the Tharks, they looked better than I thought they would. Um, according to what I'd seen on the posters, they looked a little bit more realistic, less quote unquote slimy than I thought that they were going to look. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised by by this, and actually the the part toward the end where his nephew is like reading his diary, I was thinking, man, I've got to get on this book because I actually kind of want to read these books from 1912 or 1918 or whatever. So overall, I was pleasantly surprised. There were a lot of you know problems that I did have with the movie as well, but uh, on the whole, I was more than pleased. Yeah, Abe, I uh, and Jordan for that matter, I, I basically agree with what you guys have said, and I think the. The best thing that I can say about John Carter is that after seeing it and kind of thinking about it for like the night when I saw it, I was thinking, I'd want to really see this movie again. And it's not necessarily because I thought it was amazing and like a best movie of the year or anything. And I, I thought it was certain I thought it was very good, but watching it, I had yes, I had trouble with the the fact that the narrative is somewhat convoluted. But I wouldn't say I was confused by it, but I wanted to see it again because I felt like I had enough fun watching it where I'd enjoy a second viewing, but I'd also feel I got more out of it by watching it again. And I did go see it again, and I do think I got more out of it. I Knowing, you know, having basically that, that kind of first time wear off on you, going into it a second time, I was able to, you know, kind of clearly register what's going on. And now, obviously, this is like, well, everyone has to go see it twice. Now, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I had a lot of fun watching it uh, the first time I watched it. It, I think it, it will benefit. It'll benefit down the line if by you know from repeat viewings. But regardless, seeing it the first time, I had I had a lot of fun. Um, there are it has issues for sure. The story is very convoluted, as we all mentioned, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of subplots that are undercooked that kind of go not necessarily nowhere, but just feel like these things are announced, but they don't really have much meaning beyond they were announced this one time, and you don't really remember too much about it. But regardless of that. I think the spectacle aspect is very well handled. I kind of I disagree with with Scott in regards to some of the action in regards to like basically how the budget's used. I mean, I I feel like I saw all that money on screen. I don't need I don't think it needed to use all that money, but I think I, I feel like I I saw a lot a lot of that in the frame here. I think I saw I saw a lot of really cool production design. I liked a lot of the world building that kind of went on, regardless of if I can spout the names of the characters or clearly know the politics of Zadonga versus helium. I was pleased with, I was, I was <laughs> pleased, I was pleased with what I got from these worlds. I repeated. I, I liked the inventiveness of the technology that we saw. I liked the Thark world. Abe, you mentioned the Tharks looked really good as creatures. I agree. I think the, they have like tusks that come out of their, out of their sides of their face. And those like, they looked tangible. Like I felt like they were there. Like it didn't feel like an effect to me. And I was really intrigued by all that. And, um, yeah, I also liked uh, Taylor Kitsch as John Carter. I think he was, for a role that's generally the role that would be very bland and boring and be, you know, in the wrong hands or could be something too over the top, it's certainly not a Jack Sparrow performance, but it's also not like Garrett Hendland in Tron Legacy. It's, he's, (laughs) I, I think he was having fun with the role and I had fun watching him in the role of John Carter. You got me. I surrender. Jeddak. 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 Tars Tarkas. Tars Tarkas. Captain John Carter. Virginia. Virginia. 
Virginia. Virginia. No. My name is John Carter. I'm from Virginia. Virginia. And I think we all agree that Lynn, Car Lynn Collins is very good as Deja Thoris, besides being, you know, very attractive and the various gar garb that she's given to wear throughout this film. She's a she's a strong warrior and she has a lot to do and her characters develop very well. I, I appreciate I appreciated all that. And the supporting cast is regardless of how much they get to do, there's a really strong cast here. There's like it's like the HBO re reunion here with like three members from Rome and then McNulty from The Wire and then Brian Cranston comes along because why not? It's just like, <laughs> like all these like I'd imagine if there was a franchise to be better of this movie at least, I, well I guess some of them aren't returning but I mean you have you have, you have a lot of characters here that are, I think you've named two people that are returning that are maybe returning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciated that there was there was quite the, quite the cast going on here and I, I liked I liked all there also um uh, Michael Michael Giacchino's score was uh, really uh, really strong in this film. I really I really liked his score in this movie. Yeah, it's subtle yet effective. Yeah, I, think, I, I wouldn't say there's like there's a new theme in town, but I really liked the John Carter theme that went on in the in the film. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. Overall, yeah. I I had a I had a lot of fun with this movie. I had a lot I had more fun than I was initially expecting that I was going to have, and so in that regard, I was pretty happy. And yeah, I I would re I recommend it wholeheartedly. Yeah, another thing that I really liked about it, I liked how the cities looked populated. Like it looked like an actual functioning city. One of the problems I had with Thor and Green Lantern is that like the place that they lived in, it looked like oh, maybe like five people live there and that's it. <laughs> like you, you never got a sense of of uh, of setting. Yeah, there's a good point is made about Lynn Collins, and I think that Scott, I really agree with you. I didn't think about it until you had said it, which is. They didn't choose like the flavor of the month kind of thing, and I, I really appreciated that actually. I, I didn't think about it, but then once you said it, completely agree. And the other thing that I want to say is, um, I liked her her strong aspect as not just a warrior, but she's actually like the professor of whatever whatever galaxies, and that yeah. made it really cool because it's a strong female character lead, and she's not in distress. And so I, I appreciated that that fact of it. And to think like if this book was written in nineteen whatever nineteen eighteen nineteen twelve. And he's writing these kinds of themes. That's actually pretty, you know, progressive, I would say. Yeah. So it just, it just holds yeah. up how pathetic most female leads are for today. And you know, what the hell their excuse. <laughs> That's an I essay waiting to be written, Aaron. Well, yeah. I don't think women could even vote in nineteen twelve offhand. The other you know. thing I wanted to bring up was Aaron, to your point about the production value, I really liked the costume design, the set design, and all that stuff. It seemed like they actually put a lot of effort into making those um, you know, uh the the warrior shields and whatever else and all the body paint and all that stuff it was actually a really it looked really really good and i don't know what the production budget was i'm sure that it was huge it's quite high. yeah but you know I, again it's a sad day for marketing but it's you can see where they're doing this stuff so i have a, i have a question um in regards to kind of the action that went down and how this how movie played out with its kind of war scenes and luckily of course you have blue blood opposed to red blood so you can get away with some of the stuff that happened would this movie have been better as a PG movie if it was more skewed towards families? Uh, I don't think it would have been any better or worse. I mean, I think they might have had... I don't know, because, I mean, you know, I don't want to get into box office yet, but it did do pretty well with, with families already. And it did about, a, you know, it actually had a three multiplier, which is really unusual in this day and age for a non-animated film, which means it did 
three oh, three or more times its opening night over the weekend. It did like nine and a half million on Friday, did thirty for the weekend, so it's like three point one or something. And there was a big uptick on Saturday from I families. Think- I'd like to think that, and with all due respect, that people generally liked the movie, and I think it was because they didn't really know what they were getting into on Friday night, and then they realized yes. this is actually a lot of fun, and it it takes place on Mars. Don't know if you knew that, guys. And they were like, you, you guys should go see it. I certainly was like that. I told several of my friends and my father that you know I had a lot of fun with John Carter, and they... I went I well, I went with some of my friends saw it again, but a lot of my friends that also saw it were quite pleased with John Carr. They were really surprised actually. My dad was too. He was really he did not think that the trailer sold anything about this movie well at all. He was just like I he did not really want to see the movie, but his friend called him and he asked me, he's like, Yeah, I thought it was fun, so he we went and saw it. He had a lot of fun with the movie. But it's a shame that <laughs> it didn't do that. I mean what I'll be curious to see how it does worldwide, I guess, to see how they come into that but okay that's another top that's it's probably gonna blow up huge in japan because you know they're on mars i don't know (laughs) (laughs) apparently it's not doing all that well in the asian markets it's open wait no it's doing very well in russia very well in certain asian markets i don't i don't know if it's open in japan or not or yet i think it's still china and somewhere else big that it hasn't open but it did gangbusters in russia yeah like the biggest (laughs) in russia or something like that they probably went to see it you know you know after drowning in their vodka for the whole, yes, we really did mean to re-elect Putin. Honest. <laughs> Don't kill us. I was going to ask if it was banned in China <laughs> yet, but I guess. From the movie. Yeah. <laughs> banned in the China. Cold War is not over for them. Uh, yeah. No. But now it's 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 you know I don't begrudge anyone that enjoyed the movie. I mean, if you had fun, you had fun. I just I was incredibly confused by the narrative. I felt it didn't really have a lot of forward momentum. I felt much of the middle stretch of the movie was John Carter and and. Princess Lynn Collins, because I don't remember her name offhand. Deja, Deja Vu, yeah. Um, Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, <laughs> which is okay, because he's played by Liam Neeson, and we know who Liam Neeson is, but that's another yeah, that was another thing. You're going to have incredibly complicated names, have them played by actors that we recognize, or actors that, that distinguish themselves individually. You know, it was probably halfway through the two towers before I actually knew you know, that Aragon and Strider were the same person. <laughs> but I always knew that, you know, Vincent, you know, Viggo Mortensen was that guy. And, you know, uh, Sean Bean, that dude from Patriot Games and Ronan was that guy. And <laughs> hey, look at Sala as a dwarf. You know, we, we, you know, they had unique, recognizable actors playing characters that looked very different from each other. Uh, and I thought that's something that John Carter lacked. Pretty much, in my opinion, everybody on Mars, all the humanoids pretty much looked the same. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, they were all white. They're all, and that's, they're all tan and have like those weird yeah, tattoos. But they all looked, you know, very, very similar. So as a result, you know, as I said, there's a scene in the middle of the movie where one character shows up who's not the good guys, and I swear I thought he was the bad guy turning sides because he looks exactly like him. No. Uh... And I, I guess, you know, without getting into the budget, because really, you know, that's not the fault of the movie per se. But I just, I. I just I wonder in the very long production process of this film, why nobody said, uh, these characters kind of look exactly alike. Or um well, John Carter really has no reason to be following Lynn Collins offhand. And it just I, I was frustrated by what I felt were basic narrative deficiencies. You know, why is he following her to the you know the happy blue crystal cave or whatever? Which was a wonderful special effect. Uh, it's a neat scene, but all it does is establish that, hey, look, they're on Mars and he's from Earth. We knew that. We knew that because we knew that. 
<laughs> um, it, is, it is humorous that John Carter doesn't really seem to realize that he's not on Earth for quite a lengthy yeah. part of the film. Like he's still, I guess he's convinced uh, that he's on Earth, and there's just there's weird creatures know, on this other part of the planet that I must be on. It really, and he's not freaked out about it. You know, it'd be like in Stargate if you know two thirds of the way through the movie, you know, the entire film up to that point was James Spader realizing we're not on Earth, Kurt Russell, <laughs> we're on a different planet. You know, to their credit, they get it pretty quickly. Do you find anything worthwhile in it? We well, found Deja Thoris worthwhile. I, I thought Lynn Collins was terrific. I thought Taylor Kitsch was a fun and relative. You're right. He was certainly better than Garrett Hedlund. Dear God. Um, I thought he was better than Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. He was less obnoxious and, and, and pretentious. There was a certain, ha-ha, look at me. It's aren't I dashing, you know, uh, uh with Tristan and Prince of Persia that I found very obnoxious. This did really seem like a take two on Prince of Persia where they, yes. And also it seems like it felt a lot like me to the the movie that Cowboys and Aliens should have been, which. Yeah. Uh, I thought about that a lot. It was too. better than Cowboys and Aliens. I'll give you that. I mean, there's plenty of movies I could say it was yeah. better than it was better than legacy. It was better than, you know, Cowboys and Aliens. It was, uh, noticeably better than, Oh, I don't know. Stupid, stupid, crazy love. Um, better than the Smurfs. <laughs> Um, okay, okay. Well, that's... better than good deeds though. <laughs> good, good deeds. Did uh, okay, did did uh, did we see it in 3D? I saw it in 3D. Did anyone else? I saw it in IMAX 3D. Abe, did you... Yeah, I saw it. Okay. I, Abe, did... I think. Abe, did... I'm sorry. I... Abe, did you see it? I didn't hear you. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, I don't think that it was actually necessary to see it in 3D. I would. Not at all. I think it harmed the movie a little bit. Um, uh, I don't know if it harmed the it. Image but was a little blurry. There was really no element been. to it. Yeah. The image was a little blurrier than it probably would have been. The colors weren't as rich. Um, all the reds and yellows kind of blended into orange. And as someone that really likes IMAX, it's been disheartening over the last few years to see, you know, so few opportunities to experience 2D IMAX. And I think that was one of the reasons why, you know, Mission Impossible, The Ghost Protocol was such fun for me, other than it's a great movie. It's like, you know, this is a gorgeous IMAX movie that I don't have to wear glasses and watch a blurry screen to enjoy. But again, I don't want to hold the 3D against the movie because that's not, I'm sure that wasn't their yeah, that decision. Feels when more, that, because of how unnecessary it feels, it definitely feels more yeah. like a, we could also add this on, by the way, Mr. Stanton. Uh, yeah. Or we are adding this on, by the way, Mr. Stanton. We are adding uh, you went $10 billion over budget. We're adding 3D. Now that said, as unnecessary as I feel the 3D is, I do think it was, because it was post-converted. It was not filmed in 3D. So yes. I... I did think it was a strong post conversion. I didn't. I certainly didn't think it felt flat. To, it, didn't, it didn't feel like a rushed 3D conversion. It felt, felt kind of pop up book to me, which I you know, uh, I thought it looked fine when the humans weren't on screen. I'll, yeah, I can. I, I can agree with that. Can we, let's talk. Let's talk about the action for a second. Now you did. You're saying you didn't like the action too much, especially the ending. And I can agree. I can agree yes. with you on the ending in terms of it is too short and it doesn't feel epic enough given that it's the two nations or i guess all three nations of this world colliding in what should be yeah. an epic battle to the finish everyone and you're and you're basically putting that on to the confusion of the narrative to begin with where you, you weren't too clear on whose side you should have been rooting for and well to be clear i mean it would have been epic if john carter actually led them to the right place in the first that, place i think that's just my favorite that, bit in that's the movie. a great little bit though, yeah but but, that was but great. Um, I lived the head. Regardless, <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. I do agree that the ending. I think it has the same thing as tint that Tintin had, where that movie also peaked early. I would say in terms of its action. But that said, get to to in regards to the other action scenes of the movie, I had a lot of fun of all the other actions. There, and not even necessarily fun, but the there's an action beat in the middle that has John Carter basically facing off against a 
a ch- alone against a, another tribe of Tharks, where yeah, a bunch of bastards. Where, where, where it has him jumping or bound, it has him bounding around and you know taking out tons and tons of aliens. But it's also cross cut with an emotional point in his life that's I think very well handled. Take them and capture the red woman alive. The one who jumps. Let's see what he's capable of. That's yeah. probably the best scene. It, it's a very strong, like a Giacchino I, I score is very strong in there too. It's just a really well put together. It seems yeah. like that's a scene that Andrew Stanton had in mind from the beginning, and he was able to accomplish yes. that. Yes, I, I wanted more of that level of you know thematic, you know, either creativity in terms of the action. I mean, yeah, it's not creative, but it's something that we haven't seen before. I, yeah. I yeah. mean, the closest thing yeah, could yeah. be the you know Neo versus the million Smiths in the Matrix Reloaded, which is a completely different can of worms. I like that scene, but there's no emotional investment in it. The scene at the end of the first act, where he witnesses the two air carriers, whatever, doing where he battle. saves the princess. Yeah, it's a nice beat, and I kind of I, I wanted more of that, and I wanted it to last longer. It almost felt to me like an intergalactic version of the first Rush Hour movie. Where for whatever reason, they were afraid to actually have long action sequences. You know, with the first Rush Hour movie, you have Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker, and they're like, you know, Americans don't like long action sequences, so keep them as short as you can. You know, let Jackie chew his thing, and then get him off screen so Chris Tucker can talk. Um, I'm really excited to know if our listeners really enjoy how many different tangents we're going off of random movies this week. But that's, <laughs> that's a diversion. Okay. <laughs> that's why you brought me on. I do the tangents. <laughs> But I, I wanted more big-scale action. And yes, I think to a certain extent, that's where I held the film's budget against it. Where, you know, you're spending as much as you're spending, you know, more than any of the Lord of the Rings movies. More, quite possibly more than Avatar. I don't know. Uh, about on par with, say, you know, Spider-Man 3, Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Um, you know, more than The Dark Knight. But I felt the action was not anywhere near on that level of... of on any really level, other than that one beat that we discussed involving the, you know, him versus the gajillion Tharks. And, the, you know, again, that's where I do hold the film's budget against it, where if you're going to spend that much money, you, you know, there's, you know, the, one of the reasons the marketing was so mediocre is that they didn't have any money shots to advertise. I don't know about that. I think there's, I think that, I mean, they, they hinged a lot of it on that gladiator battle scene. They think there's a, there's, there's a number of money shots in that, that sequence. And... I would say that, that, yeah, the marketing didn't use clips from the film that made that made maybe sell some big moments yeah. in that film, but I wouldn't say that there aren't big moments to show in a trailer for the film. Uh, I guess my thing is, you know, as far as the, 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 the gladiator scene, you know, I knew that was the big money moment, and it's funny, because in... It, it's, yeah, in regards to the narrative, it I, means nothing, really. Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, it's literally, it's like a Quidditch match in the Harry Potter books. I think <laughs> I've discovered an incredible secret about Snape. The answer is, no, wait, Hermione, it's time to play Quidditch. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, and yeah, that's anyway. <laughs> I never thought of the Harry po- Harry Potter movies that way, but that's exactly true. <laughs> no, no go go. You know, especially in the books, the, the movies had less Quidditch overall. So this wasn't an issue, but in the books, Quidditch was always what happened when you know you were 
right on the edge of your seat about to learn something interesting. Like, oh, no, wait, time to play Quidditch for 50 pages. Like, ah, I don't care who wins. They don't care who wins at this point. Now, here's something I want to bring up in regards to uh, something I something kind of, uh, I don't know about ironic, but something interesting I found. Do, do you, is, it, is it interesting that people that maybe did not like Avatar due to its story that found it too shallow and too kind of been there, done that. Is it, is it neat that now people are complaining about how convoluted John Carter's story is? Is there a middle ground that could be reached between the two or? Um, well, I'll let somebody start because I'll ramble. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. Um, I was like, I really want to hear what Scott here has to say. No, I mean, Yes, Avatar was a relatively simple story. Which makes sense because for, to justify the cost of that movie, even though apparently John Carter costs more, I mean, it had to make money around the world and anyone can relate to that story because it's very simple. Well, that's just it. It's a very archetypical story with a strong, you know, with quite a bit of political relevance, social relevance to it. It was a giant parable for, you know, arguably, you know, the Native, you know, what we did to the Native Americans when we came here. But, you know, obviously there were a lot of, you know, references to the last 10 years of post 9-11 foreign policy uh so while it was a very simple story there was a lot behind it i felt there was nothing remotely relevant about john carter john carter uh it really wasn't a parable for anything the fact that he was a civil war veteran was irrelevant i mean i thought jonah hex did a better job using the guys you know his civil war past as a you know I mean, all the characters were... were well, can't, you know, can't, can't, can't him being a Civil War veteran speak to his kind of state on Mars where he's seeing basically a Civil War going again? I mean, you have two groups of people that are essentially the same people. They just, one wears blue and one wears red. That's why they look... But they all, they're all very similar. It's something like what he's just experienced with the Civil War where you have the North and the South who are all Americans. They're all people. They're all the same person. It's just they're separated by where they are in the country. Is, is there anything to that? I mean... I, I will give you that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, because, I, yeah, I agree that there's not too much depth to the John Carter yeah. story. There's not, um, and, but, I mean, there doesn't necessarily need to be either. You don't need to have a, it, the John Carter, as you said, it's not cynical. It doesn't have it. There's no nothing behind it necessarily yeah. in terms of the subtext of what Andrew Stan's trying to do with the John Carter story. It's just, he's just trying to bring a pulp novel to life, basically. And I, I guess I felt that, you know, because... You know, the, the story, I don't mind, you know, certainly I don't mind complicated narratives. Again, you know, I, I you know, Brian DePaul's Mission Impossible, you know, Chris Nolan movies, yeah. <laughs> Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, what have you. But what I felt was that it was an incredibly convoluted way to tell a story that really didn't have a lot to it. And without really any forward narrative drive, like there was, there was no urgency. You know, it really, at some point, Princess Lynn Collins is going to eventually give herself up and get married against her will, maybe. I, yeah, I can agree it, with the stakes. It doesn't, yeah, you, don't, you don't feel, I don't feel the threat of Mars is going to be nothing exactly. in this movie. So, for for example, people have complained for 13 years about how convoluted the, the first Star Wars prequel was, Phantom Menace, you know, trade disputes, politics, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, if you're an eight-year-old boy or girl, all you need to know is that, hey, look, Natalie Portman is in peril. Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor have to get her out of Dodge. Oh no, they just crashed in the desert. They need to fix their ship so they can go save the people on her planet that are being wiped out. Yeah, but I think, and I mean, I guess there's a cinema score of a B plus or whatever, and like, I, I think that 
and you know, as you said, fam, it seems like families went and saw this movie because they wanted to and they liked it for the most part. I think kids, I'd like to, I, I'd be curious to know, but I think kids seem to will enjoy the movie. It would seem, and is the few of them that saw it this weekend. Kids loved it. Um, the both times I saw, well, actually, the one time I saw it where kids were there, because I saw the midnight show. There weren't. Well, take it from a parent. Kids hate the Muppets and love the Smurfs. <laughs> Damn those kids for being kids. <laughs> exactly. I felt it was a very convoluted way to very, tell a very simple story without any, and because there was no urgency or forward momentum, there was nothing for me to grasp my interest because I was having trouble following the little, the big story, and there was no mission for me to care about i see yeah I'll, i can i'm basically agreeing with you a bits and pieces on that because yeah. i was i didn't feel i was confused with what was going on necessarily i just think there was a lot going on and i needed to try and keep up and it wasn't as clear as it could have been especially for andrew stanton who's made wally and fighting nemo which admittedly aren't you know complicated films in themselves but they do have a bit going on in them and they're very oh, they're very clearly cool. made they're very well made films that i think are you know they're acceptable for all ages of course because they're pixar animated g-rated movies but they're very well i mean they're they're oscar winners for a reason so it's like yeah and i i think you can have a complicated story if the big picture or the big goal is that complication yes yeah. like for example speed racer you know for a pg-rated film aimed at kids it had a pretty complicated you know you're dealing with insider cheating and you know dead family members and parents you know having to deal with their kids leaving the nest but you know there's basically a line there where the the lead character uh hirsch whatever his name is i don't remember he basically he basically you know, basically looks to the audience and says i may not know anything about cheating and industry and blah blah sabotage but all i know is these guys tried to hurt my family and i want to hurt them back and that's all we as an audience need to know if we understand the other stuff that's great but as long as we understand that very simple goal, we understand his motivation. He understands what he needs to do. And I think that's what I felt with John Carter was the problem is that at no point did John Carter understand what John Carter needed to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, his whole plan seemed to be for the most part, get his ass off of Mars. And then the plan changed into, I need to save Mars with my ass. But, um, <laughs> and my chiseled pecs. But yeah, I, I yeah, I would agree that yeah, it didn't feel like like the, the main point of the movie is that Barsoom is doomed unless someone is there to stop it. And John Carter, while not like the chosen one per se, he was there and he needed to get that job done. Now that message wasn't necessarily communicated until way late into the film when John Carter decided, all right, let's go save Mars. He's got to do something. But the scenes, but but uh, at the same time, Deja Thoris. She was all about Mars the entire time. She was all about doing yes. the, the greater good. But yeah, I would agree that it the stakes didn't feel like Mars was really being, sorry, Barsoom was really being threatened as it, it didn't feel like, a, yeah, it, it did not feel as clear as that needed to be to really emphasize the fact that, guys, the planet's going to die if we don't do something about this. That that, that yeah. wasn't emphasized. On. Okay, now that's it. That's uh, just to bring one more thing up, or unless we have more things to say, but Again, we I did as we all did. We really liked Link Collins in this movie. Uh, Kieran Hines, who was Deja Thoris's father, who was a strong character actor, also in Rome. He was Caesar in Rome, and he's popped up a number of times. He was a Ghost Rider, and uh, he was in The Woman in Black. I see, I saw him three times in February. But um, I they have one scene together, which is kind of really strong. I really like this. 
That's the part where they're both yelling. yelling at each other, and it didn't just feel like they're yelling at each other. It felt like they're for for not knowing these characters for very long. I really liked what they brought to those roles in that particular scene, and I think that kind of speaks to the, having a lot of random. Like you have, um, sorry, you have Samantha Morton as one of the Tharks. You have Willem Dafoe in this movie. You have, as we mentioned, McNulty and the other. And Thomas Hayden Church is the the, the 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 big brute Thark that has one one tusk coming out. I think there's a lot of really strong casting in this film, and I yes, I wish they could have done more, or I wish I don't think the writing's particularly te- and I don't think the dialogue the dialogues it's not terrible by any means. I don't think it's not laughably bad, but it's it's not like I wouldn't say it's maybe a strength of the film. And but I think there's a lot of well casted individu- individuals in this film, and I was I was happy to see. Some gra- I guess more gravitas brought to what is basically a space romp than there could have been. Yeah, I Did agree. You I, on your recording? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I, I hope on the DVD that there are more scenes with uh, with those characters. Yeah, I would. Uh, I like. Now I like you better in Ghost Rider. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful in Ghost. More menacing. God, that's one of those weird cases where that's the first time I've ever seen him give a bad performance. I, I hope we do a retrospective about Ghost Rider's spirit because it's no. the second podcast episode. <laughs> I don't think we should. <laughs> that, was, that was an episode we did. But, yeah, I do agree. I mean, I, I like their strong performances. I think that really goes back to the the, uh, the whole entire notion of, like, these are actually strong performances. They gave, they possibly gave a lot of care and thought into who they were casting. Um, and, again, everybody that you mentioned on Rome or on The Wire, I mean, Again, I didn't know that McNulty was British until he did this interview. Same thing with Aziz Ansari. Uh, same thing with Idris Elba. You know, it's just they're they have very good actors in this film, and I think that that's a that's a commendable thing that they did. They they could have just gotten a bunch of nobodies, or they could just gotten you know a bunch of really good looking dudes. Um, but they actually tried to uh, to to make this film kind of quote unquote epic, and uh, I think that they succeeded to some degree. Try to think of something to say about Willem Dafoe because he was in this movie. But like, I had no idea that, that was him until I saw the credits. I, because I, it comes down because I really like the, the design of the Tharks in this movie. I like the CG on those creatures, and I think Willem Dafoe's voice lent a certain. Now, okay, I can I can say well no because I I could distinguish the the main Tharks that we were supposed to know, so I don't really have a problem with that. I don't have an issue there. Oh, like four of them. Yeah, there's like four. Yeah, four main ones that we think. Did you also like the the concept that they could actually do different things with their arms? They have four arms. They could they you could he was holding them out and then he's also crossing another pair and actually yeah, that, that I think actually, they had fun with the uh, with the multiple arms. I think that was the part where like he's like holding he's holding John Carter like knife point and he like silences the other two by using the other two arms put on their mouths. Like there's little things, little touches like that. Only two one thousand can do it's that. It's the kind of thing where again because we'll get to the box office. I wish it did better just because then we could see what Andrew Stanton could do expanding upon this world in future sequels but now we're kind of up in the air on whether that will ever actually happen at this point i guess do you think that uh disney will say they're going to do a sequel kind of like they did with tron and just kind of let it die away they could what what did they what did they do with prince of persia i feel like that's the most relatable movie to this um have they did they even say anything about doing another one or no but i think they what as you said, what Disney said with Tron and what Warner Bros. did with Green Lantern. We'll, we'll oh, hear yeah. that they're going to do a sequel this Thursday because that will <laughs> try to sell the idea that it is, it is a success. And it will most likely, they'll say it's a darker, oh. grittier sequel than the first one. <laughs> it's, well, you know, theoretically, like, oh, it is a success. I better go see the, this movie in theaters after all, right before the second weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what they did with Green Lantern, and that worked really well. Mm. Um, 
Is that what they also did for uh, the last Airbender? They they didn't say anything about. They no, anything. Anything. they're just like this they, is this is the worst. They let the movie speak for itself. So it did like Last Airbender. I, be, I believe it has over three hundred, right? Yes, it, it did. And so the same with Prince of Persia, right? Like that's I think that's four hundred something. Like three thirty five worldwide. worldwide. Yeah, worldwide, not domestically. Okay. Yeah, I was like domestically. Even domestically, domestically, Last Airbender. God, I don't like to talk about that movie, but that's like a, what's that one hundred twenty five, one hundred fifty, something like that. So, yes, it did one hundred thirty one in America and. Uh, three nineteen yeah, worldwide. So, I mean, foreign foreign countries like their special effects. <laughs> that's cool. it was a good cartoon series. I think it's a it's a great cartoon people. series. Yes, yeah. <laughs> very yeah, very. Okay, good. let's so let's uh, like, we've been talking about John Carter anyway. a long time. Let's get to our rating for it now. John Carter, better than the last Airbender. <laughs> That'll go in the box. <laughs> Scott Mendelson, Huffington Post. <laughs> Okay, so each week we try to rate the movies based on kind of a when you should go and see this. And we have a rating scale that goes from IMAX to theater, Dollar Theater, Netflix, uh, HBO TV. Just kind of forget about it. So um, we'll start with how we started. Jordan, where would you put that on that scale? Uh, theaters. Um, not really an IMAX 3D because I didn't like the 3D that much. So just regular 2D is fine. Okay, Scott? Uh, I would say Dollar Theater. Hopefully a good one because, you know, Decent visual audio presentation. I didn't like the movie, but it's a, it's it's different enough that you know. Obviously, I'm talking with three people who disagree with me. I have to take that into account. You know, <laughs> you might like it, and it's not going to hurt you. But you know, it's a big movie that you know probably should be seen on a dollar theater, unless you have a decent home setup, <laughs> which gets weird. That's why it. I like this rating system. It's regardless of whether it's like a, a letter or anything. It's just a, like, what, where's the optimal place to see this kind of movie? And, you know, you're going to have yeah. a certain intrigue for something like John Carter, where it's like, you know, TV wouldn't be good for this movie, but a theater would make a fine kind of experience to watch it for like one time. True that. Abe, would you say theater? Probably? Yeah, yeah it, it's a theater film. Uh, I think that definitely it warrants uh, a large screen for kind of what's really going on. And I think you should go in with an open mind. Uh, I guess just go in without the preceding notion of the trailers. Yeah. I yeah, and I agree. I I say it's a solid theater film. Okay, so now let's uh, get to the box office here, and um, we made some predictions last week. So let's see if the we already talked about it a bit. So <laughs> let's go into that. Abe, do you remember what you predicted? Yeah, I said first with forty million. And uh, Liz, she Liz Manishill from Just Seen It, she went first place with fifty million, and then I went a little higher with fifty-five million. Obviously, we're all wrong. Abe is kind of the de facto winner, but he went yeah, over. Yeah, but we're all yeah. over. Uh, so, yeah, it did come in with first place of $30 million, And, uh, Scott, we'll let you take it away from here. Uh, second place. So, second place. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> the Lorax did 39 Um, This has been a, a, a problem in the making for many, many months. Um, the film cost way too much. It cost anywhere from 250 to 300 to make. Uh, I've heard more, but we're going to stick with 250 for now. Um. Basically, this is what happens when you spend what I like to call when you spend Return of the King money on Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> you know, there was there were you know they spent two hundred and fifty million dollars on this picture with no financial safeguards whatsoever. There were no stars. It was not based on a property that most people had any familiarity with whatsoever. It was during a release date where there's only been one three hundred million dollar grocer domestically ever which, to be fair, was a Disney film, but that was Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, arguably a pretty safe bet. Starring Johnny Depp. Starring Johnny Depp, um, which I was surprised by how well it did, but still, 200 would have been a no-brainer. And the film was very poorly marketed. You had trailers that were unsure of what they were selling. 
they didn't want to call the film John Carter of Mars because, quote, women didn't like Mars uh, because apparently women like generic titles. Cool. Uh, they hid the fact that it had an interesting female lead. They basically sold it as a very generic pre-adolescent male fantasy. Uh, you know, He-Man hero has to save a hot girl in peril and, oh yeah, also saves a, you know, a exploited people as well. Uh, and the story's been told a hundred thousand times elsewhere. Yes, the novel was first, but the novel's not the movie. The movie is the movie. The movie, the movie in marketing has a responsibility to say why this is new, why this is different, why this is worth your time and money if you've already seen Star Wars, Avatar, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Golden Compass, Chronicles of Narnia, Ishtar, Aragon, whatever. Uh, this film, the marketing did not do that. It just looked like a a very generic science fiction action film, which Disney expected to do blockbuster business because it was unofficially anointed the next big thing. And regardless of whether, you know, I know you guys like the movie. I wasn't crazy about it. There is something to be said that audiences not, did not just blindly say, Oh, this is the big movie that I've been told I'm all supposed to see. Let's all go see it. Um, and we've been seeing a bit of that, a little bit of, you know, backlash in terms of, of you know, sort of predetermined blockbusters. Uh, Tron Legacy was the other example that, you know, oh, this is the next Avatar because we say it is, basically. You know, the, even that film did $44 million over a December opening weekend. And because of the December legs for the holiday season, ended up doing about $170 million in the U.S., uh, about 400 million worldwide. John Carter opened with only 30 million dollars. It did do 70 million dollars overseas, which is good. It's not it's it's a good result. It's at 100 million worldwide so far, but it's already opened on most in most of its markets. So this is probably the biggest weekend it's going to have anywhere around the world. And if you look at the numbers, there has never been a movie in box office history that has not grossed 100 million dollars in America that still made it to $400 million worldwide. The two biggest grossing movies worldwide that did not gross $100 million in America were The Adventures of Tintin and The Golden Compass, both of which made about $75 million in America and did $375 overseas. Excuse me, $375 worldwide. John mm -hmm. Carter basically has to make $700 million to break even. So even if it, you know, let's say it has decent legs, it did do a three multiplier, which means it did more on Saturday than it did on Friday. It got a decent B plus from cinema score. Kids seem to like it as do three out of four of these critics. Um, it's a pretty barren March with the exception of what's going to be the absolute juggernaut of the hunger games. Um, so the, the, you know, it's not going to shed screens unless it really drops like a rock, which is an advantage that a lot of, movies these days don't have because uh, they lose screens just because there's so much new product every weekend. So let's say best case scenario, the movie does 120 million worldwide, or excuse me, hundred, that would be a disaster. 120 million uh, domestically. Domestic. That's four times it's weekend gross. That's a pretty healthy multiplier in this day and age. But even so, if you look at the precedent, there has never been a movie that grossed, just over a hundred million dollars that made it to anywhere near $500 million. The closest I've found 
is Mamma Mia, which did about 144 million in America and did about 496, 86. I could check on Box Office Mojo, but I don't want to make typing noises. Um, did about 486, 96 uh, worldwide. Again, this is a movie that has to make 700 million just to break even. It's probably not going to make 500 million or 600 million. And that's the problem with John Carter as a concept. They spent an incredible amount of money without any financial safeguards and plopped it in a release date that was very unsafe and not kind to these kind of movies. And basically, they were in a situation where it, John Carter had to break records for the release date, for worldwide versus domestic box office, for somewhat unknown properties, just to break even. And I say this a lot when you're, you know, never bet on breaking records. It might happen. You might get Avatar, but you're probably not going to. Hmm. Uh, if even something like Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which made $676, $686 million worldwide, if that had cost $250 million, it would barely be breaking even. And that's the tragedy, especially for people that like John Carter and even people like me that didn't like John Carter, but admit that it's trying. You know, it's not, you know, as, as, as cynically, in my opinion, cynically lazy as Tron Legacy, which I thought was so bad it was scary. But that's another argument. This is a film that because it costs so much money to make is going to be a flop. If it cost $100 million, maybe even 150 if it makes it to $400 million bucks. Maybe even four fifty. Let's be nice, but probably not going to happen. It would be a break-even slash minor profit, and yes, we'd probably get a sequel. Uh, we'd get a sequel with a tighter budget and making sure they don't spend a hundred million dollars on reshoots this time around. And that's the tragedy of John Carter. Not that it's a bad movie, because that's subject to debate. Not that it was this incredibly cynical attempt to, to fashion a boy-friendly franchise, because Disney is so desperate to 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 get their own boy-friendly franchise because girls are yucky and if girls spend money on princess merchandise then that makes Disney uncool because that's basically the message they've been sending for the last five years. That's the only reason I took the movie personally is because I, I, you know, call it misogyny, sexism, whatever. Point being, Disney has been just chasing after one boy-friendly franchise after another, none of which were as profitable in terms of from budget to... Uh, final gross as the quote unquote flop, the princess and the frog, which grow, which cost a hundred million to make. It did two twenty five million worldwide. And it's been selling princess merchandise for the last three years, like hotcakes. Um, so they tried it with, I am number four, drawn legacy, sorcerer's apprentice, prince of Persia, real steel. And now John Connor, excuse me, John Carter did it again. <laughs> Most of these movies were flops. The only reason Real Steel wasn't a flop is they only spent 80 million bucks on it. And that's the lesson. It wasn't a super safe property. It wasn't a sequel. So they didn't spend a hundred bajillion dollars on it. With I am number four, right? Same I'm sorry. I am number four. That wasn't yeah, exactly. all right. That, that basically broke even. It cost 60, did about hundred. Hate that movie, by the way. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Again, that's, that's learning a very you know, borderline misogynistic message. Wow. Girls love Twilight. Let's tell a Twilight story told from the point of view of the hunky, super-powered boy, and let's turn the Bella character into, a, you know, the stock love interest. You know, that's what drives me nuts about Hollywood, is they always learn the wrong lesson. 
It's, you know, Avatar made $2 billion because it was in 3D. No. Inception earned, you know, $800 million because it was a sci-fi mind bender. And it was original. Should we make our own original pictures? No, let's remake Total Recall. And that that's that's where John Carter that's where, that's the place where John Carter comes from. The idea that it's it's kind of sort of maybe like Avatar, so maybe we'll get lucky like Avatar, but let's spend like we have to get lucky with Avatar, like Avatar. And that's all I got. All right, we'll we'll see what happens, I guess, with the future of John. I'll be I'll be very curious to see what kind of legs it has, but yeah, it doesn't look likely that it's gonna you know certainly not gonna be breaking records as is. I, and it's a tragedy because it's it's people are going to get fired and not the people, you know, they're going to have layoffs. Okay. You know, they're going to write off $150 million or whatever they're going to lose. They go, oh, we lost a ton of money. We have to do 10% layoffs. And it's going to be the secretaries, the pages, you know. It's not going to be the people that, you know, thought that spending $300 million on a completely unknown entity was a good idea. Hopefully Sterling Cooper Draper Price will be able to pick up the slack. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's uh, let's move on here. We we have to do our other segment first. It's the uh, what? You want me to sing it, Abe? I okay. Do. Instead or because of, instead or because of, instead or because of, you should watch this, formerly known as Retro Reviews. And this is the segment where we decide, you know, we name a couple of movies that you could watch instead of John Carter or because of John Carter. And we've gone over a lot of movies already, but any others that came to mind, Jordan? I thought of Stargate, but I haven't seen that since I was really little. And you guys said not that good. No. Yeah, I guess not Stargate. Sorry. Uh, Flash Gordon. There you not? go. I got a whole list actually here. Uh, let's see. Instead of, you could have, well, you could watch John Carter instead of Prince of Persia, probably instead of Tron Legacy. Because of John Carter, I'd watch the short Bounden, which uh, preceded The Incredibles. Remember that one where the little goat learns how to jump high? Oh, he's yeah. bounding because John Carter learned how to jump quite a bit. He was bounding throughout that movie, and I'm like, I'm excited to watch the original Total Recall. I hate having to say the original Total Recall now. Watching that, and I I like to speak about Red Planet as much as I can because I like that Val Kilmer movie, Red Planet. I I enjoy. I think that it's as a well. fun movie. And uh, Serenity. I haven't watched Serenity in a while, but because I was watching John Carter, I'm like, I feel like watching some sci-fi pulp stuff. So I'm gonna watch Serenity for some time soon. Uh, Scott, uh, any? Uh, I, just the obvious ones, you know, Avatar, yeah. I, I think it's, it's, you know, a much better attempt to do this kind of lone man falls into an alien world and then has to save the day. Um, this, you know, the Star Wars, all the films that John Carter wanted to be the next blank, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Avatar, you know, what have you. All um, the films that come from the fact that John Carter exists to begin with, exactly. <laughs> which, right. did, which yeah. Disney yeah. really didn't want to market in any way. Yeah. There's so many clever ways that Disney could have marketed John Carter, regardless of like yeah. what people thought about the movie. There's so many ways they could have dragged people to the movie just by saying and from the stories that inspired these stories. Or right. an incredible adventure from the director of Finding Nemo and Wally. Really, like really, that would have worked, honestly. Like <laughs> it could have. Uh, it, it's weird. It, Disney seems ashamed of their animation division. I guess Stargate. I was. It was. There's a lot of Stargate and John Carter. Car- it, yeah. it basically it ended like Stargate. I was like, yeah. I was happy that there was like one extra thing after the very end, where I was like, this is exactly like the end of Stargate. But then they're like, oh, this also happened. Spy Kids, for uh-huh. you know, for who turns, turns up in the beginning of the blog. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's 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 as someone that didn't like the film and for the reasons that I whined about that I didn't. It it makes me appreciate the cleanness and efficiency of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings series. 
that I went to that with absolutely no idea. I read The Hobbit, you know, didn't like it in middle school. I saw the cartoon Hobbit. Other than that, I knew nothing about Lord of the Rings. So the only character I recognized was Gandalf. Uh, yeah, we've mentioned a lot of them, uh, Avatar, Wally, Indiana Jones. But one that we didn't mention, and I thought of a lot, was Enemy Mine with ah, Dennis ah, Quaid. Ah. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, crash land, planet, alien, minus the, you know, male giving birth thing, and then dying. Enemy Mine. I, I thought about that a lot, actually. <laughs> there is a poll right there, Enemy Mine. Kroll. Kroll. Sure. <laughs> uh, Enemy. That's a anyway. that's a Wolfgang Peterson film, I believe, too, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Man, Dennis Quaid, too. Since you actually remember Enemy Mine, were you were you the only one other than me that was amused when they released the final poster for the last Harry Potter film, which was basically the enemy? <laughs> yes. Oh yes. yeah. <laughs> Not enough jokes were made about that. Eric, you gotta just oppose that. And we I might, I might do notes. that. I'm gonna put that in the show notes now. <laughs> just oppose Harry Potter and gonna be mine. It's actually it's on my blog when the poster came. I was like, oh, I gotta find this. I'll find, um, I'll find your link to that then. Yeah. But oh, that's, that's uh, anyway. <laughs> okay, so now then let's get to game time. How about that? Sure. Efficient. Aw, majestic okay. today. So, I have a new iPhone app. It is called... What is it called? It is called Movie History. It is the Movie History app. And this app has things that happen on the very day of, you know, that you know, today is. So, it is... Today, we are recording this on March 11th. And so, I'm going to just kind of go through some of these facts and try to make a question out of it for one of you guys to answer first. So, let me see what I can do here. Okay. On March 11th, 1971, THX 1138 was released. Who directed this film and named two char- two actors that are in it? Ooh, I know two-thirds of that. It's, um, Robert Duvall's in it, yes. right? Yes. Ooh. And, um, isn't, um, in, in, um, the, the House of Thousand Corpses... Wow, um, the- you're correct, yeah. Sid Haig is in there. Sid Haig. Yeah. Sid Haig. And who directed it? Lucas. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Donald Pleasance was the other name. Yeah. I was the other one I was thinking of. Donald Pleasance. Dr. Yep. Loomis himself. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Jordan, I'll give you that one. Okay, here we go. Here's the oh. next one. Oh, thank you. Okay. March eleventh, nineteen eighty two, actress Thora Birch was born. Name two films that Thora Birch has been in. Oh, uh Train and American Beauty. Yes. Wait, uh, wait, was what was the first one you said? Uh Train. Wait. Train. Patriot Games. Games. Oh, there you go. Oh. <laughs> Some direct-to-video horror film. I think she was in it. There's also Hocus Pocus, uh, Now and Then, Alaska, Hole, Hole. and uh, <laughs> oh, what's the one I was just thinking of? Uh, Ghost, Ghost World. World. Yeah, Ghost World. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I like this game, actually. I'm going to play this. Okay. Okay, here's one. March 11th, 1994, The Hudsucker Proxy was released. Yes. What Pixar film was one of these actors in the Hudsucker Proxy in? Tim Robbins. What Pixar film was one of the actors that stars in the Hudsucker Proxy in? Oh. Tim Robbins. <laughs> 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 the answer is courage. So Tim Robbins is in this movie, as is Jennifer Jason Lee and a certain Butch Cassidy. Hmm. Cars. There you go. 
Paul Newman in Cars. Oh God! Thanks for the thanks for the hint. Well, I didn't want to take too much time. <laughs> okay, let's see. Wait, does does everyone have one? Is that <laughs> okay? That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. Okay. Yep. Okay. Let me. Okay. Let me. Okay. Here we go. March eleventh, two thousand five. The film Hostage, starring Bruce Willis, opens. Name another actor in the film Hostage. Alfred Woodard. <laughs> right off the bat, that's where you went with that. Alfred Woodard. <laughs> okay, so that means Jordan takes it this week for our movie history. I like that. We spanned several decades playing that game. Just like John Carter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to have a spoiler talk about John Carter, but there might be, so tease that. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's get to what we're going to talk about next week now. And next week, we are going to be talking about 21 Jump Street and, poss- and possibly Casa de Mi Padre, the new Will Ferrell Ooh. film. But, Aaron, yes. question. Will you go to prom with me? <laughs> yes, I will not go to prom with you, but we will talk about 21 Jump Street next week, starring Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. A lot of people have already seen this, except Scott Mendelson, apparently. I'm the only person <laughs> in the world that hasn't seen it. I haven't seen it either, yeah, don't worry. So the, <laughs> I have to wait till the tomorrow. The general public hasn't seen it yet, but I, I, it's funny. I'll say that right now. I won't spoil, I won't spoil <laughs> my thoughts on it until next week, but that is, I can't that is the plan for next week's episode, for sure, and um, let's have a little box office fun with it. Um, I guess my main question, Scott, would be, do R-rated comedies do well in this time of year? Uh, R-rated comedies have been doing pretty well in general, the yeah, so... Um, the, that's yeah. that's the one one of the genres that really doesn't really matter when it gets released. And uh, um, given the massive amount of marketing I've seen for Twenty One Jump Street, I like yeah. to think it's probably going to do pretty well next weekend. Thirty would not surprise yeah, me. So let's. But don't scream flop if it only does twenty. Yeah, really. So let's. Uh, yeah, probably only cost. Well, probably cost. Probably cost like thirty, forty. I had to guess. Yeah, at at best. So let's uh, get some get into some predictions here then. Uh, Scott, what do you think? Thirty? You're saying thirty? I'm I'm gonna go with thirty. Okay. Uh, it's getting good reviews. The uh, Jonah Hill is doing a lot of publicity. Uh, Janet Williams coming off you know a giant smash hit with the Vow. Um. So yeah, I think he's gonna capitalize okay. on that. Jordan, Abe. Uh, Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Okay. Abe. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say thirty-two. Thirty-two. Okay. Um. Jeez. Let's see. 27, 30, 32. I guess I'll just sneak up ahead of you guys. I'll say, I'll say 34. I'll go with that. And yeah, we'll see. And yeah, all of us are guessing first place, are we? Or Jordan, are you guessing first place? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What if there's no other wide releases? It's either that or Silent the House. He <laughs> made such a splash this first weekend, so. Eh, it cost 10 bucks yeah, to that's, make. Yeah, that's no. true. And I would I'd recommend Silent House, by the way. And from, as far as, yeah. far as a technical accomplishment, I think that film is solid. It's not the best plot-wise, but for a movie that's promoting itself, well, it's doing whatever it can to promote. No, I don't think enough people get the idea that the film is basically a gimmick of it's one long, continuous shot throughout the entire movie, regardless of if there are edits in it, which there probably are. It's very well handled in terms of making that kind of concept work for that movie. Now, that said, the plot's okay, but Elizabeth Olsen is the star of it, and she's great in Martha Marcy Marlene. Mar- <laughs> That's the first time I've ever stumbled on that title. She's great in Martha Marcy Mae Marlene, and she's really good here, too. Like, I, I'm looking forward to seeing more movies with her in it. So, uh, can you also say Sally sells seashells by the seashore really fast? I can. 
Anyway, um, <laughs> that's going to do it this week for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog site, thecodazeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com. I think I mentioned earlier that I was at the Los Angeles Animation Festival, and at there I got to see a screening of The Iron Giant, followed by a Q&A. So if you go to whysoblue.com, you can find a recording of that Q&A featuring Brad Bird and um, the team of animators and young Hogarth from Iron Giant all grown up. So, you know, go check that out if you want to. You can also find me at Twitter at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3. Abe? You can find more of my work at walrusmoose.blogspot.com, two animals, walrusmoose.blogspot.com, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Jordan? Uh, damn dirty blog, blogspot.com. Yeah. Great. Scott? Uh, Mendelssohn's Memos, Scott Allen Mendelssohn, blogspot.com, plus uh, movie movie phone, Huffington Post, whatever they want to call it now. Um, yeah, mainly Mendelssohn's Memo. That's where everything is. Even the stuff that's just me being lazy and writing about a trailer. Great. Um, yeah. Uh, you can find all our episodes about now with Aaron and Abe at iTunes. Uh, also at hhwlod.com. We can find all the episodes of the show there, as well as other shows such as The Walking Dead TV podcast and Legion of Dudes and other shows that are about games and comics and other fun stuff. You can also find most of the newest episodes, including that Iron Giant Q&A that I mentioned at outnow.podomatic.com. You can also email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com and praise us for having a very lengthy movie review instead of just a few words like we did for Secretive World of Ariarty last week, which we quite liked, but only since it was, it was really good. We had, nothing, we had nothing really to say about it. No dissent. <laughs> we had nothing really to say. It was just really good. But uh, yeah, email us there. And also email us about our 50th episode. If you have any ideas for what we should do, you know, you know we're... we're yeah. Do not miss the last five minutes. <laughs> 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 and also feel free to like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. We put all the episodes there, of course, and, you know, we tend to update it a lot with all our other blog posts and, you know, have fun on the Facebook page when we can. So I think that's going to do it. Lengthy episode. Thanks, guys, for coming on and sticking around. Always a pleasure. Oh, thank you. And uh, until next time, so long. And goodbye.
Okay, well, for one thing I have to point out, because this won't make it into the show, because it's kind of a spoiler, but when John Carter comes back from Mars, and he looks over, and he's like, Powell! And he looks over to Brad Cranston, and he's still there as a skeleton, that made me laugh out loud twice now. Like, <laughs> like, just, like, the idea he's just, like, right there, and he's, he's died, and it's just like, he's, nothing moved him at all. He never, he never no, moved. No one found it. Once John Carter left for Mars, he just stayed in that exact position. That, that made, <laughs> no one else, like, laughed at this idea for some reason. Like, I'm just, like, a laughing alone in the theater because I, I was too i was too busy crying on the inside it was so it's such a, it's a weirdly dark comic moment that like i don't think it is, it is. it's just like it's just there it's just a skeleton but from a narrative standpoint you know it, it, it caused confusion we're like how long was he actually that, on that is confusing too and i was having that discussion it, with the ride like well there's he, like a time travel paradox going on here because he was there for a week which means 10 years and you know whatever He's literally there for a week. We, my friend and I, we finished this. We figured that out because he got there. There was a day, a day passed, another three days for the journey through the desert. Then like another day passed, and then in real time, then they had a wedding. Yeah, in real time, and then they had a wedding, and then he went back to Earth again. So it was a week, but apparently it was must have been. Well, let's see. It was 1881 when the movie started. Right? <laughs> it was th- it was 1968 when John Carter's went to Mars. He says he spent ten years. Uh, Hmm. So I guess Wait, the, movie, the movie ends in 1968. No, the movie begins in 1968 with John when John oh, John Carter goes to Mars in 1968. When the movie, or sorry, 18, sorry, 1868. That's when John Carter goes to Mars. 1881 is when Edgar Rice Burroughs happens upon all this stuff. 1881. He, John Carter says that he was looking for 10 years to find a, a thing to get back to Mars. So. 1871. So I guess three years is a week in Mars time. (laughs) He he apparently knew those guys were following him. He didn't think to try his plan 10 years earlier. It was a pretty good plan. Well, he he amassed all this. I don't know. All right. That's that's our spoiler talk that we didn't. We're whining for the show. It was also neat to see Albert Brooks reprise the role of Marlon in Drive last year. So that was. <laughs> <laughs> he told his vision. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>